0: If you have your Bibles today, turn to Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua comes right after Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament. Joshua is the sixth book in the Old Testament and gives us a new beginning. As God's people have been brought out of Egyptian bondage through the leadership of Moses, they have wandered uh, 40 years in the wilderness, and they are now ready, since Moses has died, they are now ready to enter the land of Canaan, cross over Jordan, uh, and under the leadership of Joshua, they will now take the land of Canaan. There is a problem, though. Uh, Jericho stands right in the way. It was sort of a stronghold to guard the entrance into Canaan. And so God is preparing Joshua. Uh, Joshua sends uh, two spies to go out and survey the land, see what the weaknesses are, see where the best place would be to cross the river, uh, what's vulnerable, what's strong. And uh, these two spies are spotted by some of the soldiers at Jericho and they chase them. And these two spies make their way uh, in Jericho to a a house of a prostitute named Rahab. Uh, It wasn't uncommon for a prostitute to build uh, her house right at the entrance or exit to a city. And so uh, Rahab has, has a strategic location. Um, in her business, it's location, location, location. And so she's right there where all the travelers would pass by. Well, these two spies from Joshua uh, are running away and they're trying to hide from the soldiers. And they go into her uh, place of business. She hides them up on the roof. And and to their surprise, makes a confession of faith in their God and in their future. And it's this I want us to look at. If you turn to Joshua chapter 2 and verse 8, it says that Joshua 2 verse 8, Before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Uh, Then she names two events that caused fear to just uh, strike all of her people. Verse 10, We have heard how... Number one, the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. So that event is the exodus when uh, uh, through Moses they uh, went through the Red Sea on dry land. Then she names a second event, what you did to the two kings of Amorites beyond the Jordan named Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. Now, that's a a battle at the end of the wilderness wandering. So you have two events, one at the beginning, one at the end of the 40 years. And then verse 11, she says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any of us because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, there is a tradition among the rabbis, and many of these traditions are true, that uh, one of these two spies' name was Salmon, just like the fish, Uh, probably from the Hebrew word peace, shalom, some derivative. And in the New Testament, it says that uh, Salmon, if indeed he was one of these spies, and History says that he was, although the Bible doesn't, but history does. uh, That Salmon was so struck by this prostitute's confession of faith that he later on, since she was spared the destruction because she hid them, he later on married her. Now, that's what he thought about her faith. There is some indication of this in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Notice that. Rahab, this Rahab here, married a man named Salmon and produced a son, Boaz. Well, y'all know who Boaz is. Boaz and Ruth. And then they produced a son, Obed, and they produced a son, Jesse, who produced David. And Solomon came from David. So that Rahab actually ends up being an ancestor of the greatest military king, David, the greatest wise man in the Old Testament, Solomon, and ultimately uh, ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) What an amazing participation in the people of God. Talk about a changed future. So the tradition holds that Solomon was one of these two spies that this is where he first met her. Now, we do know this about Salmon. In 1 Chronicles 2, verse 10, it says that, uh, speaking of the tribe of Judah, it says, Ram fathered Menadab and Amminadab Nashon, who was a prince in Judah. And he was the father of Salmon, Who was the father of Boaz? So, 1 Chronicles 2 10 through 12 also gives you the same genealogy. Uh, The father of Nashon, called a, or the father of Salmon, whose name was Nashon, is called a prince in Judah. There are not many princes in Judah. But here is one who's referred to in his genealogy. It takes the time to point out that he was a prince. And again, in Jewish history, they tell us that he's famous, Nashon, the father of Salmon who married Rahab, he's famous because when it came time to cross the Red Sea, nobody would go in. God said, go forward. Moses said, go forward. But the sea hadn't opened. And the first one who decided to go forward was Nashon, the father of Salmon who married Rahab. So he's called a prince, a hero in the, among the people of Israel and in Judah. So we could summarize by saying that Nashon, a hero at the Exodus, had a son named Salmon, who Joshua picked as a spy and with another unnamed spy. And there in Jericho, he met Rahab and was so amazed at her faith at the God of Israel and the fact that she saved his life that he married her. And what a story then develops from their marriage. Let's first of all look at these two events that caused her to have such an incredible confession of faith. What are these events? Well, verse 10, she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. We heard that, and our hearts were smitten with that. So the first thing that she says that moved me to hide you and cast in my lot with you, the first thing she says is the exodus. Now, this is 40 years earlier, and yet it's still being discussed in the land of Canaan. The Exodus is an event that every Bible believer needs to know about, every Christian, every person who has a confession of faith needs to know about. Deuteronomy 4, verse 32, puts it like this. I'm paraphrasing, but God says... Ask of days that are past since the time God created man from one end of heaven to the other. Has any God ever reached down and taken an entire nation out of another nation and did it by a mighty hand, miracles, and an outstretched arm? To you it was shown so you'd know the Lord is God and there is no other. God rescued the entire nation of Israel from Egypt, destroyed the mightiest army in the world at that time to illustrate the fact that he's the Lord and none of their gods are anything. In 2001, the Jewish synagogue in downtown Los Angeles, the rabbi there, David Wolpe, Actually, stood in the pulpit and denied the exodus ever happened. When I read that, I thought, really? A rabbi denying the exodus is like a preacher of the gospel denying the resurrection. Why are you even in the pulpit? The exodus is the event of the Old Testament. And evidently here, a harlot in Canaan has more faith in God than a rabbi in America. This faith in this event melted her heart, it says in chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. So the exodus is one of the big historical events that moved her, she says. The second one is, is also in verse 10... And it's at the end of the 40 years of wandering. It says, also what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. Well, who are these Amorites? Why is that such a big deal? Well, we first meet these Amorites in Numbers 21, verse 21, when it says that uh, Israel had come out of Egypt and they're passing through the wilderness and they come to the land of the Amorites. And Moses, in a courtesy sends a messenger to the king of the Amorites, Sihon and Og, the two kings, and, and he says to them, We're going to, we would like permission to pass through your territory. I will make sure nobody gets into your fields, plucks your corn, or even takes a drink of water from your wells. And the two kings of the Amorites send a word back, and guess what they say? No way. You're not coming through here. And they get all their armies together and go out to meet the Israelites. Now, the thing about these people, and this comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3 and beginning in verse 3. It says, we, the Lord gave into our hand Og. What a name. <laughs> king of Bashan, all his people, and we struck him until there was not a single survivor left. We took all his cities, which were 60. So they destroyed 60 cities, and then they went into his house, this is in Deuteronomy 3 verse 11, and saw Og, who was a giant, called a Rephaim, and they saw his bed, and it even gives you they were so impressed Moses wrote it down Deuteronomy 3:11 Og was the only one left of the remnant of the giants and his bed was a bed made of iron and it says it was 9 cubits long that's about 14-15 feet long that's a long bed that's about 2 to 3 times the size of your bed and it was 6 to 8 feet wide It was so big because the guy who slept in it was so big that it says, Deuteronomy 3.11, it is preserved in Rabbah of the Ammonites to this day as a souvenir. They had a museum (laughs) and they put this guy's bed in it because it was so huge. And Rahab says, your victory over the Ammonites, the giants... That sealed it for me. You destroyed the Egyptians. You destroyed the Ammonites. You did it in the beginning and now you're doing it 40 years later. And she said, our hearts have melted in us. We know that your God is the God of heaven and your God is the God of earth and beside Him there is no other. And so I'm here to ask that you spare me and my family. Now, I think there are some important lessons here on... Uh, gleaning from the story of Rahab and her confession of faith. Let me just give you I know there's a lot of them but I'm going to give you three this morning. The first one that comes to my mind when you hear about this you, you read this story and here is what it says uh, at the end of the story of Rahab. This is chapter 6 verse 24 and they burned the city with fire, chapter 6, verse 24, and everything that was in it. Then verse 25 says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lives in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua had sent. So she is preserved. So what's the point of this story? Well, here's the first thing, I think, and that is there is an importance given to the stories of the Bible, especially the stories where people are saved and delivered. It is important that we not only read them, but know them and teach them to our children. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 11, she said, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. Hearing the stories converted a prostitute. As soon as we heard it, there's a the president. I don't think he's president there now, but a, a New Orleans Baptist Seminary. The president was speaking some years ago and he said, we are now trying to reap a harvest from an unseeded generation. What do you mean by that? We're trying to reap a harvest from an unseeded generation. What he meant was, you know how you have to, you, you dig, cultivate the ground and you sow the seed and then later you reap the harvest. Well, the Bible, Mark 4.14, calls the word of God... Uh, the seed of the Word of God. You sow it. And a lot of times it later produces a harvest. Our young people, what the president of the seminary meant was, our young people are not a seeded generation. They've not had the Word of God sown. And so we're trying to reap a harvest out of the hearts of young people who don't know anything about either the Bible or the God of the Bible. So there is no harvest. That's what he meant by that. So we need to read these stories, promote these stories, and by the way, one of the things we're trying to do in in Project 145 and our children's building is uh, to have a building specifically designed to seed this generation. All these children will be taught creation story, Noah and the flood, Abraham's call, the exodus event, the the story of David and Goliath. And as he puts it in, in Jeremiah 29, they will be given a future and a hope through the God of the Bible. These stories bring that. So that's one lesson, I think, is that is the importance of hearing about these stories. She heard it and her heart melted. Here's a second lesson. And that is that Rahab's future was totally changed by faith in God. Not works of the law, but faith in God. And here's what Hebrews 11.31 says. And get this verse. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute did not perish with others who were disobedient. It was not by works. It was not by her worthiness. She was a prostitute. But it was by her faith in God. And here she is, one of the most marked women in the Bible and yet delivered through her faith in God. Um, if you notice this passage, I, I want you to see something in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. It says here, this is her uh, resp- uh, request to these two spies, verse 12. Now then, she says, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. That's in verse 12. What is a sign? What does she mean by that? It's the Hebrew word la'ot and it's used in Exodus twelve twenty-three where it says that when when the destroying angel was coming over, that if they put blood on the doorpost, it would be a sign, laot. Same word used here. She knows the story of the Exodus. She knows that God was going to destroy in his tenth plague every house that didn't have the blood of the lamb on the door. And she's saying, give me one of those. Something sure. Something that will protect me. I know you're coming in, God's going to give you this city and all this land. And I I believe He can spare me like He spared you in Egypt. So she says, give me one of those, give me that sure token or sign. Just as they had the blood on the door when 40 years ago at the Passover. And you know what they said? Look in verse 18. When we come into the land, tie this scarlet cord in the window. A, a red ribbon or cord which would be just like the Passover. So there's, there's almost like a Gentile Passover event here. And she gathers all her household into her house just like they did at the Passover. Passover. She puts a red sign out front, symbolizing the blood, just like the Passover. And she puts her faith in God and rest. And it says she was spared. In Joshua 6.25, Joshua saved her alive. So she was saved by faith in God. It's a Passover event from a Gentile woman who was a harlot. And I, I would just uh, uh, add that if you want a sure sign, make sure that you come under the Passover sign, the blood of the Lamb, the, the blood on the door, the red sign of the cross. Because remember how they would put it? So said they put it at the top, put it at the bottom, put it on the sides, and put it on the other side. Sign of the cross. And that was at the Passover, and here she says, give me a sign like that. The, the point there would be, make sure you are under the cross, the blood of Christ, to have your sins forgiven. Put your future, put your faith and hope in that sign, which is the shed blood of Christ. One third lesson. She was given greater blessings than any of the women in Israel. Can you imagine this? We know, for example, she married Salmon. Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 says so. We know she was given a wonderful son named Boaz, who, by the way, was, according to the book of Ruth, was a rich man. He was so rich. You remember that story? So he inherited much of his wealth from his father, Salmon, who was her husband. She married into wealth and fame. And probably Solomon, her grandson, her great-grandson, was named after Salmon, her husband. Because they're both from the same Hebrew word, shalom, peace. So a great future with wealth, husband, family, children, and becoming the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What a future was given her. In the book of James, James was a Jewish pastor in Jerusalem, by the way. And James is talking about a healthy faith. What is faith that's truly functional, healthy and, vibrant. and he uses two illustrations from the Old Testament. The first, he says, healthy faith is seen in the life of Abraham. Well, of course, Abraham. Who doesn't love Abraham? Muslims, Jews, Christians, we all claim Abraham. Paul in Romans 4 said, Abraham is the father of our faith. So everybody loves Abraham. So James picks Abraham. Ours is an example of healthy faith, he says. But then James uses a woman as an example of healthy faith. And what woman out of the entire Old Testament of great women does he choose? Healthy faith, Rahab. Abraham and Rahab. There is an example, my friends, of how God can take a woman with an awful past, with failure and sin and an ill repute, Lift her up, put her among God's people, and give her a future which is the highest and best in the pe- among the people of Israel. And here I am, 3,000 years later, using her as an example for us to follow. <laughs> it's amazing how one event of faith, one moment in time, where you put your trust in God, risking all upon Him, refusing to believe what the your nation is telling you, and saying, I believe that the God of those people is the true God. I believe it before the victory comes. I believe it. I have faith in this God. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of earth. And I'm going to risk all for Him. Have you been to that place where you haven't seen judgment. See, she hadn't seen it. She just heard it. Judges 6, or Joshua 6.25. Rahab the prostitute in her father's household, all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she lives in Israel to this day. May we follow this woman's faith And may we have the same blessing on our life as she has in hers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for these wonderful stories of faith in the Bible. We ask you to help us, I pray, to take these same risks, to know that the God of the Bible is our God, the God in heaven and the God of earth beneath and there is no other. And we praise Him and worship Him today and ask His blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.